his name. Let's turn around and shake hands and fellowship one with another. Good to have all of you with us tonight. Good to have those that are visiting with us. We are certainly thrilled to have you. Good to have Eddie Goddard home. And, of course, Jack and Sandy, good to have them back tonight. And others that are visiting with us, we are certainly thrilled about you being here. Are you glad to be here tonight, all of you? Amen. And I tell you, I'm glad Atlanta's getting snow. We're not. Say amen. Someone said, aren't you praying for snow? If I had my way about it. I'd be living on the beach, sitting under a palm tree tonight. Amen. No cold weather for me. But uh, we're here. Let's worship the Lord. Let's remember all the things going on tonight. Of course, the Awana next door, all of our Awana leaders and all the children. And then our teenagers and uh, teenagers, uh, teen leaders and their midweek service tonight in the back. Let's pray that the Lord will bless there and move in a special way. Steve Fletcher, if you would, lead us in prayer, please. 
Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, bless. Yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. Speak to us. Yes. Yes. Yes, Lord, thank you. Yes. Amen. Let's continue to sing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fault I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's let rushers come forward to receive her offering. I remind you, your giving on Wednesday night goes to support our Bible conference, so let me encourage each of you to put a little something in tonight, and the Lord will bless you for doing so. Great reason to give, and always a joy to give. Father, bless our giving tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the purpose for which we give on Wednesday nights, and thank you, Lord, for how you've used the conference to touch so many lives. Bless the offering now. Continue to open our hearts in this service to all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, sometimes we uh, buy things and some, we pay a little down payment on it maybe or a big down payment. We keep paying and paying and paying. Sometimes we never really get it all paid for. I'm sure some people, uh, 4th of July this year, will be finishing paying up for their Christmas gifts they've got for their children or for their families. But, you know, I'm so glad that when the Lord does something, He does it right. He does it fully. The Bible says that when Christ died on the cross, He paid the full atonement for my sin with the precious blood of Christ. And uh, the songs Rick's been singing tonight and are having us sing about the blood of Jesus Christ. What a precious thing that is. I'm so glad tonight that Jesus Christ paid that payment. I'll never have to worry about it again. And just to remind us of that tonight, this song says it was paid in full.
justice called for a payment for sin. No one worthy could be found among men. But the precious Son of God with a cross and thorny crown paid the debt with the blood of the Lamb. Paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. Free from sin, free to live now I am. And it reads on the page where my sins were written down, paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, how great was the debt that I owed, bound to pay for the seeds I had sown. But in Jesus, my Lord, a great treasure I have found. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, paid in full by the blood of the Lamb, free from sin, free to live now. where my sins were written down, paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. And it reads on that page where my sins were written down, paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. Paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. Praise the Lord for that. Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. At the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, since we're right on the, this is our first service in the new year, I thought I would talk to you tonight about resolutions for 2002. We'll get in our, back to the book of James next Wednesday night. But I want you to stand as we honor the reading of his word. And let's talk about resolutions. If you're like me, you've just about quit making resolutions because they end up being lies that you've got to confess before the Lord. Amen. Uh, we make them and break them. But I want to suggest to you from a very, very fascinating verse of Scripture, three resolutions, three personal resolutions for your life in the coming year, three things that you want to uh, make a part of your life. But look at our text, Hebrews 12, and notice just this one verse, verse 15. The Bible said, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now look at the verse again. 
there's three things in there that I'm going to point out to you that ought to serve as resolutions for this coming year. One is lest any man fail of the grace of God. Two, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And three, and thereby many be defiled. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. And then we'll look at these, this one verse tonight and draw from it some things that I think will be a help to us and we'll call them resolutions for 2002. Let's pray. Our Father tonight in Jesus' name, as we come to your word tonight, we come to you, the author, understanding tonight that this book is beyond our ability within ourselves to comprehend or to understand. It is a divine book thereby, therefore, we need divine help and understanding the wonderful truths of the Lord, of the Word. Father, we know you want to speak to us tonight, and so we ask you now that you might unfold your Word and, Lord, open our hearts to receive the things that we'll see and help us to understand them and then, most of all, to apply them. So, Father, speak to us now. Thank you again for your Word. We thank you in advance for what you'll say to us tonight, for it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Of course, when we talk about resolutions, we're talking about that which we often do at the beginning of every new year. We make our resolutions, we're going to do this or we're not going to do that. We're going to lose weight, we're not going to eat more. We're going to exercise more, we're going to do this. We're going to go to church more. And, of course, most believers make the resolution they're going to increase their tithes from 10 to 30%. And, you know, those kind of resolutions, some are good, some are bad. But I believe there's some spiritual resolutions tonight that we can find in our text here that I think would be good resolutions for the coming year. You notice he talks about being diligently in, in Hebrews 12 and verse 15. He says, looking diligently. I'll underscore the word diligently, diligently for just a moment. The word actually means to take the oversight. It is found different places in the Bible. For example, 1 Peter 5, 2, the Bible said, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. The word oversight in 1 Peter 5, 2 is the same word translated diligently in Hebrews 12, 15. Also in Acts 20 and verse 28, the Bible said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. The word overseers in Acts 20, 28 is the same word diligently in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. And of course in 1 Peter 5 and in Acts chapter 20, the ideal is of a pastor taking the oversight. He is the overseer of the flock of God. And with that oversight, he is to watch over that congregation. He is to guard that congregation. He is to watch over them in a very, very careful way. Well, the writer of Hebrews, you might say, is saying just like a pastor watches over his congregation, we are to watch over our life as a believer. We're to guard our life. We are to keep our lives at a certain level spiritually. We're to protect our lives from certain things. It is a serious supervision of one's spiritual condition. You might say what he's given us in Hebrews 12 is some things that we're to apply in our life and to watch in our life lest certain things happen in our life. But I want to look at the verse tonight, and there are three things I want to point out to you 
that we find in the text that I believe would make good resolutions for this coming year. You have your little brochure, fill in the blanks, follow me tonight, and let's look at these three resolutions. Are you ready? Say amen. The first thing, resolution number one, may I suggest to you from the text, is keep yourself hungry for the Lord. Keep yourself hungry for the Lord. Look at these words in verse 15. The Bible said, looking diligently, that is, taking the oversight, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, underscore the word fail for just a moment. I'm going to have you underscore several words, but I want you to draw, draw your attention to the word fail. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. You find the same word in Hebrews 4 and verse 1 where the Bible said, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us, uh, left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. The words come short are the same word translated fail here in our text. The word fail is a word that simply means to come short. It means to fail to keep up or to come in late or to be tardy. So when you're talking about failing of the grace of God, it is coming short of the grace of God. It is, as we might say, failing to keep up of the grace of God. Christendom says the image is taken from a company of travelers. And one of them lags behind so it never reaches the end of the long and laborious journey. But again, the ideal is of coming short, of coming in tardy, of not keeping up or whatever. It reminds me of a statement made in Micah 4 and verse 5. And that day saith the Lord, I will assemble her that halteth. The word halteth talks about a straggler. It is someone that lingers behind. Well, the picture that he gives us here is of a goal that is in front of a believer. There is a goal that's somewhere they're traveling. This is where they're going to. Or it could be of a runner. This is the goal in front of him. There's the finish line. Whatever the picture is, however you use the picture, there is a direction, there is a distance, or there is a goal that they are describes our goal as being the grace of God. And when he talks about the goal being God's grace, and he's talking about everything that grace offers the believer, everything that grace provides for the believer. But yet the picture is of someone that is lagging behind, someone that is not reaching that goal, someone that is not pressing forward, somebody that is not striving after all that God has given us in the grace of God. When I read that statement and understand a little bit what he's saying to me, the picture that comes to my mind, the image that seems to come to my mind, is of someone that has no burning desire to reach that goal. They have lost their hunger to reach that goal. Here is the goal. It is the grace of God. The grace of God is all that God has given us, making it ours experiencing what has been given us in Christ. But yet this would seem to suggest that there is not a desire to reach that goal. There's not a hunger there to reach that goal. There's not a passion to pursue or to strive for or to reach after that which has been available to us as a believer. So we find a lack of a hunger here, something that's missing that would drive them, inflame them, and stir them. Can I suggest to you tonight that one resolution you ought to have for the coming year is that you don't lose your hunger for the things of God. That you don't lose your hunger for the grace of God. There's what God has given us in Christ. It is ours, freely bestowed upon us. Undeserving, yes, but freely been given to us. Don't lose your hunger for that which God has given to us in Christ. 
someone said that pe most some people are like the old man who, was, who said he was out of work so long that when he went back, he discovered that he'd lost his taste for it. Well, many believers have lost their taste for the grace of God. They don't hunger after that which has been given to us in Christ. There's not a passion there. There's not a hunger there. There's not something on the inside that longs to experience all the things that God has given us. It's like Thomas Carlyle said of Thomas De Quincey. He was full of bankrupt enthusiasm. I don't want to lose my hunger for the things of God. Do you? I want something in my heart burning for the things of God, something, a craving on the inside so that anything God has given me in Christ, I experience, and it becomes mine. It's like Matthew 5, 6 said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And here's the promise, for they shall be filled. Don't lose your hunger for the things of God. Jot these six things down, uh, the things you ought to be hungry for. Write them down in your brochure there. For one thing, we ought to be hungry for the presence of God. There ought to be a hunger in our heart that when we assemble here on the Lord's day, that we assemble in God's presence that we walk in the presence of God, a hunger for the presence of God. Don't lose your hunger for God's presence. That's one thing we pray for, that every Sunday when we gather here, yea, every service, that it's not just something we do and not just our own demonstration of the flesh, that when we come here, God is with us and we're in the presence of the Lord. Don't lose your hunger for the presence of God. Don't lose your hunger, second of all, for the power of God and being filled with the Spirit of God. And knowing something of God's power and God, God's fullness in our life. Don't lose your hunger for that power. May there be a craving, a longing, a desire in our heart to be filled and filled fresh with the power of God. Don't lose your hunger thirdly for the Word of God. Love God's Word. Crave the Word of God. Long for that time when you sit down privately just to read God's Word and let God talk to you. Long for those times when you come to the house of God that you can hear the Word of God being taught. Don't lose your hunger for the Word of God. Don't lose your hunger for the glory of God. That is God getting glory in all that we do. As the Scripture said, unto Him be glory in the church. He alone is magnified. We do not detract from His glory. We do not rob Him of His glory, but He is honored and He is glorified. I say this from the bottom of my heart. One of my passions is that when we come to church that Christ is lifted up. He is magnified. Don't lose your hunger for the glory of God. Don't lose your hunger, fifthly, for the knowledge of God. Knowing more about God. Learning more about God. Knowing more about who He is. And learning more about the kind of God that He is. Not just facts in your mind, but living realities in your life. A hunger for the knowledge of God. And last of all, a hunger for the work of God. Don't lose your hunger to want to win people to Christ. Don't lose your hunger to want to see people saved. Don't lose your hunger to want to get folks in the family of God, to want to reach others and to serve God. As the songwriter said more about Jesus, let me learn more of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fortitude. More of his love who died for me. Let me ask you this. Don't respond, but have you lost your hunger? Was there time, time in your life and days in your life when you had a burning passion for the things of God? 
A hunger in your heart for the things of God. Don't be like a runner that is no longer hungry to reach the goal. Don't be like someone lagging behind. Someone coming in tardy. Somebody coming up short. Don't lose your hunger for the things of God. It's like the Bible said in Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not telling me that I must work in order to be saved. That's, that's not at all what he was saying. But the verb work there was a picture of a miner going into a mine and getting out of that mine all the valuable ore in that mine. Here's our goal. It's the grace of God. And we've been given so much in God's grace. Now work out your salvation. Work out of the grace of God all that has been given your you. Give all, get all the gold. Get all the silver. Get all the diamonds. Get all the rubies. It's yours. All you got to do is get it and experience it. And don't lose your hunger for the things of God. Amen? Resolution number one, keep yourself hungry for the Lord. But let me give you a second resolution. Not only do I find as I look at verse 15 that I am to keep myself hungry, but also, second of all, keep yourself happy in the Lord. Now, I believe tonight God wants his people to be happy. And I believe God wants his people to be full of joy. I believe church ought to be a happy place. Amen? Some places I go into, it's so cold. If you let a cow down the aisle milk her, she give popsicles. I don't believe that is what the Lord wants in a church. He wants God's people to be happy. I think about Spurgeon one time. He received a letter from someone that had visited the church. And the man told Spurgeon that as soon as he entered the house of God, or as soon as he entered the church, he knew that it could not be the house of God. As soon as he walked in Metropolitan Tabernacle, he said, I knew it wasn't the house of God. He said, first of all, the crowd was too large. And he said, the narrow way uh, that leads to life is found by few. And when I saw 6,000 there, I knew that that wasn't the house of God. And he said, you were too happy. You look too cheerful. And when I saw the happy faces in the congregation, I thought these people know nothing about the depravity of their hearts or the inward struggles of believers. May I say tonight, if there's anybody that ought to be happy, it's those that realize the own, their own depravity of their own hearts, but to realize that we've been saved by God's grace. We ought to be in hell, yes. And we should be burning in hell tonight. But God in his grace and love saved us. We have a reason to be happy tonight. Many churches, I, th I know you've heard the story and heard about wartime. The church had put up a board of, that listed all the members that had lost their life in war. And one little boy sitting in service there was curious about the board. He asked his dad what it meant. And his father explained to him that those were the people that had died in the service. And the little boy said, was it the morning service or the evening service? Well, God wants his people to be happy. He says, striving diligently, lest you fail of the grace of God. And then he says to us in verse 15, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. He tells us, don't let yourself become bitter. Don't fail of the grace of God. Have a hunger to reach that goal. And second of all, don't let yourself become bitter. Instead of being bitter, keep yourself happy in the Lord. T.S. Rendell, he defined bitterness as the radioactive fallout that contaminates everything in life after there has been a failure in the core of our being to come to grips with life's disappointments, discouragements, or defeats. What is bitterness? The word bitter that you find here comes from an old word, an old root word meaning to bite. 
When you talk about bitterness or to be bitter, you're talking about that which has bitten you. It's like the bite of the old serpent himself, poisoning the heart and paralyzing the soul of the individual that has been bitten. Bitterness is like a soul that has been bitten by Satan. Rendell also defined bitterness as the atmosphere that is produced in us internally. When we meditate over life circumstances and decide that we have not been given a fair deal. Bitterness is a tragic and terrible bleak and black atmosphere of the soul. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves being bitter. We can let something that happens in life make us bitter. It's like Naomi. Naomi, her name means pleasant. But you know in Ruth chapter 1 when she came back home, she said to the people in her hometown, don't call me Naomi pleasant, but call me Myra, which means bitter. We can let the things of life make us bitter. But he talks about guarding ourselves, watching over our life, lest we become bitter. Now look at it, the statement a little bit more in detail. For one thing, he talks about the development of bitterness. He describes bitterness like a root. Look at it again. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. He describes bitterness like a root that germinates. And a root that grows, it springs up in our life. Somewhere the seed is planted. It could be a circumstance, some situation down on your job. It could be something that happened in your family. It could be something that happened to you from outside circumstances, maybe even the church. But a seed is planted, and what happens, it begins to germinate. And it begins to grow in your heart. And it springs up. It gives, brings, comes to fruition in your life. Maybe that an individual feels they've been slighted, deliberately ridiculed. His or her feelings have been crushed by another's actions or lack of actions. They feel like they've been mistreated or misunderstood. They feel like they've not been given a fair deal or treated properly. And the result is that individual becomes a poor, embittered soul, sometimes living in isolation, sometimes in self-chosen loneliness, Sometimes there's anger and rage. Sometimes there is hate and scorn. And sometimes they're just numb, feeling nothing. And sometimes their emotions are inflamed with a burning rage. It springs up in their life. Now, it springs up in one or two ways. Sometimes bitterness springs up manward. A believer is bitter against another believer. A pastor becomes bitter with his church. A church becomes bitter with the pastor. A friend becomes bitter at another friend. A husband becomes bitter to wife. A wife becomes bitter to husband. Sometimes the bitterness is manifested manwardly. Sometimes it is manifested, manifested godwardly. I think about a woman that survived the sinking of the Titanic, but her husband did not. And someone spoke to her, began to talk to her about God, and she interrupted them and said, Don't talk to me about God. God went down with the Titanic. I think about all the presidents that have served our country. With only one exception, every president that has been sworn in has used a Bible in their inauguration except the 14th president, and that was Franklin Pierce. And the reason he refused to have a Bible used in his swearing-in ceremony was just two months before he was sworn in as president. President-elect Pierce and his wife Jane and their 11-year-old son Benny were involved in a train wreck just outside of Concord, New Hampshire. 
Neither Pierce nor his wife were injured, but their son, Benny, was killed. And neither one of them could handle it. Neither one of them could understand why God would allow such a tragedy to enter into their hour of triumph. And they blamed God for the whole thing and became bitter against God. And on the day of his inauguration, he refused to have a Bible used in his inauguration. Mrs. Pierce didn't even attend her husband's inauguration. She secluded herself in an upstairs bedroom for nearly half of her husband's term and Washington gossips called her the shadow of the White House. Sometimes things can make us bitter, bitter toward those around us. Sometimes bitterness toward, bitterness toward God. But in any way, it's like a bite sending poison through the soul, gradually affecting the person in numerous ways. It's like roots growing out and spreading out in various parts of the heart, the soul, the mind, and the life. A development of bitterness. But look at the danger of it, secondly. Not only the development of bitterness, but the danger. Springing up, trouble you, he says in verse 15. Trouble you is a word that is often used to speak of vexing something. Like a man possessed with demons, how they vexed his soul. Or torment in a person's life to stir up trouble. It was sometimes used to, to speak of that which comes in that crowds things out. You know what bitterness does in our life? It troubles us. And if I may put it this way, when we become bitter, when we allow something in our life to make us bitter, it crowds out the good things and it fills us with the negative things. Instead of being happy in the Lord, we become angry. Instead of there being a peace that passes all understanding, we are bitter. We are judgmental. We are angry. You see, bitterness crowds out the good things, and it fills our lives with the bad things. It's kind of like a story I read one time about a customer that became infuriated at a bank for some reason. Bobby like this. And he rented one of the safe deposit box under an assumed name, and he placed certain items in that safe deposit box. In less than a week, a rotten smell was apparent throughout the whole deposit box area. In fact, it was more than a smell. It stunk. It was worse than you can imagine. So everyone using the, so the boxes complained about the odor in the room and soon it began to smell all through the bank. So despite legal and technical difficulties, they began to search each one of the deposit box. And it took 11 days to find the right box, but they found it and on the inside were three large rotting fish. Well, if I can put it this way, bitterness stinks up the whole life. Amen? If you let yourself become bitter, it stinks up the whole life. But here's a resolution. Don't become bitter. Keep yourself happy in the Lord. Why does anyone want to be bitter? I enjoy being happy, don't you? I enjoy being happy in the Lord. Resolution number one, keep yourself hungry. Keep yourself hungry for the Lord. Resolution, resolution number two, keep yourself happy in the Lord. Don't let anything rob you of your happiness. Don't let anything rob you of your joy. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what anybody does. Don't let it rob you of your joy. Keep yourself happy in the Lord. Resolution number three, not only keep yourself hungry for the Lord and keep yourself happy in the Lord, but thirdly, keep yourself holy to the Lord. Notice the last part of verse 15. And thereby many be defiled. Now look at the word defiled for just a moment. The verb that is used here indicates that which 
stains. It's like a dye, like a colored dye staining a garment. And of course, it's not intentional stain, but it's like some kind of stain has been accidentally uh, knocked over and runs over on the garment or splatters on the garment. And the result is the garment is stained by this dye. He talks about our life not being stained, lest it be defiled. Now look at two things. One, you see the reason for this defilement. Now look at the whole verse again. Looking diligently, that is taking the oversight of your life, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, really what he says in verse 15, the reason for this defilement is a failing of the grace of God and bitterness growing up in your life. He said the reason we become defiled is we don't keep the grace of God as the goal in our life. We don't keep pursuing that which has been given to us in Christ. And we let our life become bitter, and the result is our life becomes defiled. That's the reason for this defilement. But look at the result of this defilement. Again, the verb, it talks about that which stains. The reason for this defilement is our life is stained. The word sometimes was used to speak of ground that was profane and contradistinction to ground that was consecrated. Certain ground set apart under the Lord, certain ground that was not set apart and was used to, to distinguish these two. Sometimes it was used to speak of one that was unholy compared to someone that was holy, someone that was devout and holy, and the distinction between the two. What the writer is telling us here is that if we do not strive after the grace of God and if we let our lives become defiled by bitterness, the result is our life becomes stained, becomes stained by the immoral. It becomes stained by the unholy. It becomes stained by the unrighteous. It's like he's saying to us, now watch it. Don't follow the grace of God. Stay hungry for the Lord. He said, watch it. Don't become bitter. Stay happy in the Lord. And says, watch it, lest you become stained or unholy. He said, keep yourself holy to the Lord. You may remember back in September the 11th, 1985, when Pete Rose broke Ty Cobb's long-standing record. I never was a Pete Rose fan, but I was watching the game that night. And Pete Rose hit his 4,192nd career hit, and of course broke Ty Cobb's record. I well remember the game. As I said, I was, I've never been a Pete Rose fan, but it was undoubtedly, he was undoubtedly one of the greatest ever played the game. And I remember the, watching that game that night. I was somewhere in a motel room, and I was watching the game. They'd been announcing, maybe tonight would be the night that he'll break the record, maybe tonight or whatever. He didn't break it, such and such a place. So I flipped the TV on thinking, maybe I'll get to see it because I knew it would be a piece of baseball history. And I still tonight recall the excitement of that game. There's a packed-out stadium. And I remember Pete Rose, when he hit that ball and when he stopped on first base, the whole stadium stood up and cheered. And I remember how moved I was and how moved everybody was when Pete Rose broke down in tears standing there on first base. It was one of those special moments in baseball. If you're a sports fan and like baseball, it was a very, very special moment. But it was a special moment that was short-lived. Because not long after that, Pete Rose was expelled from baseball for betting and gambling on the team's games. And in spite of his accomplishments, 
He's refused to be allowed to be placed in the Baseball Hall of Fame and may never get in the Baseball Hall of Fame because of the stain and the blemish on his record. Here's a man with great achievements in baseball, his career, but yet blemished by one thing. It's like the writer saying, look, don't let your life become stained. Don't let your life become blemished. Keep yourself holy. Watch your life. Guard it. Don't take life flippantly. Take life seriously because there is an evil one out there as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. It's not just going to jump out and say boo and scare us. He wants to devour us. Therefore, we've got to watch our lives lest many be defiled. So what is this resolution? Keep yourself holy to the Lord. Now, if you want to set resolutions to lose weight in the coming year, so help you. And when you do, teach me, because it's beginning to become a burden of mine in these days. And if you want to exercise more, run more in the coming year, so help you in whatever there, and all that kind of stuff. But I want to submit unto you, for resolutions, as far as your spiritual life is concerned, you ought to say, Lord, by the grace of God, I want to stay hungry. By the grace of God, I want to stay happy. And by the grace of God, I want to stay holy. Let me one final note about this matter being holy. If you'll notice there, he talks about if any man fail, any root of bitterness. But when it comes to being defiled, it changes from any to many. If there's a motive for being holy, it ought to be the fact of how it affects the lives of other people. My failure would have wide, wide ripples. And your failure is going to have an impact on others. We do not fail to ourselves or sin alone. We impact those around us. And for that reason, we ought to say, by the grace of God, I will stay holy. Amen? Those are good resolutions. Take your prayer sheet for tonight. Hebrews 12, 15, great verse of Scripture, well worth you spending some time in. Our prayer sheet for tonight, our missionary of the week, is the, our church of the week, Brother David, who used to work here, Sequoia Baptist Tabernacle in Hickson, Brother David. We all bro love Brother David. I want to lift him up tonight in prayer. Our hospital is, of course, Willie Holcomb is still at the National Health Care. And then Mrs. Lowry is at Parkridge Hospital. And then uh, Mazette, you want to remember her. They had to take her to the hospital. She came back home, but she's been real sick. And she's a dear member of our church and a real prayer warrior. I appreciate Mazette. And so let's remember these tonight. All